invite our kids here in person to join Miss Stephanie at the back as we gather together for kids' worship today. And as they're doing that, I wanted to give everybody uh, an update on where we are at Wednesday Night Grove so we kind of understand what's happening in the weeks to come, at least for right now on this day. First, a thanks to everyone who has let us know through our Rebuild meetings and conversations where you are right now. We honor whatever decision is for you and your family. We have heard from most everybody now, and based on what we have learned, we will unfortunately not be able to do anything on Wednesday nights as a whole right now. While we do have families who want their children to come back on campus, currently we do not have the volunteers willing or able to make that return happen. We'll be instead developing a deeper discipleship experience with those who are ready to return on Sunday mornings, which is basically who we have coming back at this point during worship. And we'll rebuild brick by brick there. Stephanie has also reached out to all the parents to see how we can help to be in ministry with you in a more home-based approach. And we'll be working on these new ways of discipleship in the days to come. Our youth will be meeting independently of Wednesday Night Grow, and we have some pictures last night from our gathering as we welcomed the Pete family. And they'll have their own plans in place for being online and on-site, which will begin soon. And a few photos from there as we gathered together, and the rain held off. So we welcomed Jennifer and Brian and Bella officially as those who could gather last night. And as far as dinner, which we would be able to do safely, in adult classes, we are unable to design anything during the 5.15 to 6.30 time slot we had before, currently. We had hoped to have a gathering together outside with food, and then those in groups would be able to gather together in various spaces in the church with our new hybrid TV systems to include those that are in person and those that are online. We've had great success with that approach with one Sunday school class and also the Tuesday morning women's Bible study is now online and on site and they were, did a fabulous job with that. But with the necessary changes, and they were necessary, made to stay connected over the last five months in the group's meeting on Wednesday nights, we don't see any way that it is possible until we have a chance to consider changing those times or days in the future. And after wrestling with all the possibilities and staff meeting this past week, we have not had the time to have dialogue with those groups yet to see what is possible. My class, however, will start to meet on-site somewhere, depending on size, and online on September 23rd as we begin a new study. We'll keep this study online for right now. But we will continue to return and to rebuild. And we will have our next monthly outdoor gathering on September 20th. And we're looking at calling it Christmas in September because, as I mentioned earlier, Operation Christmas Childs, when we did that last year, and it seemed to work really well for us. And maybe right now you need a little bit of Christmas cheer. And so we're going to put that date on your calendar, September 20th. We'll tell you more about the time and that sort of thing, but you know, somewhere in that four to seven time frame on Sunday night like we did last time. And we'll do some Operation Christmas Child Boxes too because we've looked it up and they're still doing it. And there are still kids around the world that still need those boxes even more now than ever. And as long as they're still doing it, 
we're still going to help. Because I don't want any kid to, to not have the ability, especially during this time. My compassionate international child you know, needs extra support right now, so I give that to her because they don't have hardly anything. You think it's bad and we go through hard times here, but in a third world country where 45% don't have access to clean water to be able to wash their hands with soap. It's a whole different ball game than it is here in the States. So we're going to keep that up. And we can easily do it. We've already done some activities like this before. So for now, stay connected with worship and in your small or large groups. Just keep that going. There's some great things happening there. Keep following the sermon series with the devotionals and the questions and the prayers each day. If you miss a day, then do two. Or just, or just let it carry out. Go past the sermon series. There's nothing that says you have to somehow catch up. Just take it one day at a time. So now let's continue learning the Nehemiah Code that will help us to rebuild and to restore and renew ourselves and our church and our world too. Let's pray together. Gracious God, as we gather as your people, we are looking towards what it means to persevere through our difficulties. They are all around us, and Nehemiah has a great story to tell us, especially in this chapter 4 where he begins to feel the conflict, the opposition. So Lord, if we're feeling that in our lives right now, help us. Challenge us, convict us, guide us to know your strength and your guidance. And speak through these words you've given to me that may be challenging and true to us as we gather both here and at home. Prepare our hearts now. The power of the Holy Spirit. And together we all said, Amen. So as some of you begin football season, I'm wearing our colors because our color day at school was on Friday this week. Colors on campus. We're not going to be playing anytime soon. But some of you begin football season. There is an acronym that was coined in professional football, actually. It's called YAC. Y-A-C. Does anyone know what YAC stands for? It was coined by the great John Madden, former football coach of the Oakland Raiders and well-known TV analyst. YAC stands for Yards After Contact. Say that with me. Yards After Contact. It is the statistic that measures the success or the failure of a running back. And Madden began compiling the measurement by counting the number of yards a running back makes after first being hit by an opposing player, for those of you who aren't football-oriented. It measures the player's ability to keep forward toward the goal line after encountering opposition. If you love to watch college football like I do, you notice what the running backs do after they've been hit. They don't just drop the ball and start running in the opposite direction to avoid more contact, do they? Well, not the good ones, at least. What do the best running backs do? Well, after being hit, they keep moving forward. They keep churning their powerful legs and keep heading toward the goal. See, the greatest power running backs make most of their yards after they contact their opposition. 
They keep moving forward because they know that yak is what makes the difference between winning and losing. See, some of us never rebuild in our lives because as soon as we are hit with any opposition, we are prone to quit, to fumble away our opportunity, or worse, start running in the opposite direction. The rebuilders also keep moving forward after they are hit because they have learned that it is the yak that, most in, that is most in life, not just in football. See, often our yaks is what determines whether or not we reach our goal. And it is the key element that separates those who rebuild and those who don't. It is the thing that helps us the most to persevere through difficulties. Say that with me. Persevere through difficulties. And chances are there is someone listening right now, watching, who has stopped rebuilding in their life because you have run into some type of opposition and began to ask, what is the use? Why keep trying? Maybe it was a broken relationship that was in the process of being rebuilt when conflict came again. We, we have to remember it is the yak that often makes the difference between success and failure. That is true in rebuilding ourselves, a marriage, a business, or a church. Yak demonstrates our ability to overcome all obstacles and is what separates us from others in the crowd. OS says anyone anywhere who gets serious about rebuilding can expect to meet with opposition. But it is how we deal with opposition that will largely determine the success or failure of our own rebuilding projects. You see, Nehemiah, like the seasoned quarterback of a championship team, called for what we call audibles. Those are changes in the play, in the huddle, that enabled him to complete the job and reach the goal that God had set before him. How do you do this? Well, he followed four key yak principles. First, Nehemiah shows us how it is to deal with conflict head on. He didn't ignore it and hope it would go away. Second, Nehemiah made some proper adjustments. Third, Nehemiah was an overcomer. He overcame obstacles by continuing to do the right thing. And fourth, finally, Nehemiah rallied his troops. We have walked with Nehemiah. And we have watched him as he got started right, as he builds a team spirit, as he lets go without letting up. But in chapter 4 came his biggest challenge yet, opposition. We should never think just because we are serious about the business of rebuilding that success will come without some type of opposition. In Nehemiah's case, the opposition was all around him. And it was persistent. And we can't be fooled into thinking that opposition goes away quickly or quietly. We have to hit it head on. Say that with me. Hit it head on. Nehemiah's opposition comes from two different directions. First, from the outside. His outside opposition came in the form of mocking and ridicule. 
The very beginning of chapter 4, when Sambalat heard that they were rebuilding the wall, he became angry and was greatly incensed. He ridiculed the Jews. In the presence of his associates in the army of Samaria, he said, What are those feeble Jews doing? Will they restore the wall? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they finish in a day? Can they bring the stones back to life from this heap of rubble, burned as they are? The outside opposition, OS says, had a threefold plan of attack. It was aimed at morale and motives and mission. In calling Nehemiah's team feeble Jews, they were attacking the morale of his people. It was a calculated attempt to demolish their self-worth, weaken their resolve. When we are in the midst of our own rebuilding process and our own wall is going up, we shouldn't be surprised when someone comes along and attempts to weaken our resolve and demolish our morale. Next, Nehemiah's motives were attacked. Sambalat said that Nehemiah and his people were doing it all for themselves. That it was selfish motives that drove them to rebuild. Well, fellow rebuilders, there are still many Sanballats out there around today who can never understand why we would attempt to do something for God's glory alone and not our own. So when your own motives are questioned, just keep doing what is right. Nehemiah's attractors had attacked morale and his motives, but they weren't done yet. Next, a man named Tobias got into the act. And he attacked the very mission behind what moved and motivated Nehemiah towards his goal. Tobiah the Ammonite, who was at his side, said, What are they building? Even a fox climbing up on it would break down their walls of stone. The implication was that rebuilding this wall was just too big a job for this motley crew of loser Jews to ever put back together. But the real issue here is that Sambalat and Tobiah didn't like seeing that long crumbled wall going up again. Your critics will always resist change. The truth is that any time we take up the work of God and begin a work of rebuilding, we can expect someone to show up to mock us, to ridicule, in attack not only to destroy our morale, but our motives and mission as well in whatever we are rebuilding. And opposition not only comes from the outside, but the inside as well. It is the opposition that is most often the most devastating. The fact was the tribe of Judah was not dealing well with outside opposition. They were just about ready to give up and give in. You ever been there? Ready to give up? To give in? I have. Rebuilding is hard work, especially when everyone has a different mindset. Meanwhile, the people in Judah said, the strength of the laborers is giving out and there is so much rubble that we cannot rebuild the wall. 
of all people, Judah was the strongest of the twelve tribes of Israel. And the opposition from one of Nehemiah's key players must have been like a dagger in his heart for his closest to turn on him. But from what they said, it was because of fatigue, frustration, potential failure. I actually had somebody that I, it came to me and said that people were talking about before we had the feet that needed. I'm not sure I want to do it because I don't want to be part of a failure. Really? Feed the knee could ever be a failure? Even if we fed one person? Is that what we've come to as a church? That if it can't be everything that it was before, it's a potential failure. I see all those things somewhere inside of our community. I see the fatigue, as my friend Rick would say about disaster, as we're in the fifth month, almost sixth month of disaster, and people are just numb. We can't even get through to them. They're just, you're numb. And frustration, not only in church life, but in real life and in business life and in school life and everything else. And then just the potential for what if we fail? What if we come back together at church and the whole thing shuts down again because somebody gets sick? You know what? Then that's what will happen. One of you will bring it in here or me and give it to somebody else and we'll all be back online again. It's like the schools or anything. At some point, you have to take some kind of level of risk and just move forward and then do it. The nurses, those on the front lines, they can't pull back. They're taking a risk every day. They go into the lines of what's going on. The schools, we've been in hybrid now for three weeks. Three? Mm, maybe. We're going to be in hybrid again. We can't not do things because of the potential failure. We can protect ourselves. We can make the highest things we possibly can do. We can't eliminate risk from our lives. We're talking about all that more this week in greater detail. So it's important to remember when, where the Jews were in their own rebuilding process because they were very much in the same place that we find ourselves or they, we find us like them. So we rebuilt the wall till all of it reached half its height for the people worked with all their heart. They were at their halfway point. I would suggest that we're at our halfway point because it'll probably be a year before we even have the chance to regather together. As sad as that is to say. It was halftime in the game. It's a dangerous place in our own rebuilding process. In fact, this can be the most discouraging point of the journey. Anybody else there with me? Discouraged? This journey's not even probably halfway over yet. Halfway comes to each of us in our lives. Our wall is halfway built when suddenly we become aware that we are not where we intended to be at this point on our journey. I mean, I thought 
we would be more ready to return as a whole than we really are. I was under the assumption that we were ready to rebuild. Some are. Many are not. And instead to discover that more of us are still much more in the returning stage than the rebuilding one was a wake-up call of discouragement. I have to be honest. It was a punch in the gut. You couldn't have said words to me more than we're just not ready. To find out that we're not as long, far along as I hoped, as I dreamed. So we, like Judah, are tempted to give up and said we're not able to build our wall. So we just stop, lay down our tools, and go home. But at this very point that we have to remember, yak. What is yak again? Yards after contact. That is the yards after contact that really matter. We have the contact. So second, we have to make proper adjustments to where we are. Say, make proper adjustments. Make proper adjustments. I have, and probably you have too, watched a football game where at halftime it looked like it was lost for your team. Then they made some adjustments and they came roaring back, maybe to even go into overtime or double overtime or even triple overtime. And the reason they were able to do that is that the coach did not give up in the face of opposition and what seemed like insurmountable odds. You ever watched a game went down to the last seconds because somebody came roaring back and didn't give up? They made proper adjustments to their game. Nehemiah knows that Yak is what determines whether his team will win or lose. So he too makes some adjustments at the halfway point. And he puts his finger on the problem of the opposition he was facing. And what was it? In verse 12, Then the Jews who lived near them came and told us ten times over, Wherever you turn, they will attack us. The problem was that those from the tribe of Judah had been listening to those Jews who lived close to the enemy. And the enemy was influencing them with negativity. You got negativity in your life right now? You got too much information? You're believing something or another? Somebody told me, you know, the, the cases are increasing in Sumner County. You do know that's not true. The cases are decreasing in Sumner County. What I hear people saying is information from a month ago or two months ago when they shut down. Not information from yesterday or the day before. And I get it because there's so much information, but we're almost back in the green when it comes back to going to schools. And that is from being at 0.78, 0.79 to 0.5. Huge decrease. But we're still stuck in the mindset from two months ago when it looked like the information we get two months ago. How much are you supposed to clean surfaces now? What are you supposed to do? All these things. It's all changing. It's all different. And at some point, we just stop. And the negativity sets in. 
OS says, being far removed from the center glow of the dynamic rebuilding spirit, they were picking up on the gossip of those who sought to discourage them. You see, living so near the enemy caused them to alter their focus and place their immediate attention on the enemy itself. They began to listen to the scoffers instead of listening to their God. This can happen to us in our process of rebuilding our lives too. We can find ourselves dangerously close to those who are attempting to discourage us no matter what we're trying to rebuild in our life. And we begin to listen to them instead of moving ourselves near to the center where God is rebuilding. Amen? So Nehemiah faced the opposition head on and he made the proper adjustments needed to complete the task. And like a coach motivating at halftime, he regroups his team. Verse 14, After I looked things over, I stood up and said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, and here's where he makes halftime adjustments. There was a rebuke, and he says, Do not be afraid of them. And then he addresses their fears and encouraged them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. And then he encouraged them. And fight for your families and your sons and your daughters and your wives and your homes. And I would say also add to that your church. Fight for your church. Whatever that looks like for you. And Nehemiah called all his people off the wall and he rallied them together and he huddled them up and he gave them an inspiring challenge and sent them out to get rid of the rubbish. Because any attempt to rebuild their or our wall, for that matter, without first removing the rubbish in our lives would have been frustrating and futile if you're not building on a solid foundation. And finish strong. Third, keep doing what is right. Convinced it was the yak that brought success, Nehemiah dealt with the conflict head on. He made necessary adjustments. Then he simply kept moving toward his goal by continuing to keep doing what he knew was right. And he said it in this way. When our enemies heard that we were aware of their plot and that God had frustrated it, we all returned to the wall each to our own work. OS says there is an important principle we see in these verses of chapter 4. Nehemiah never left the rebuilding for the battle. Nehemiah never left the rebuilding for the battle. What I mean is Nehemiah never left the focus of building his wall for the fight of the battle that was outside. When opposition arises, the temptation is all too often to leave the rebuilding process and go and tackle whatever it is the opposition is. It would have been easy to answer the scorn that came his way from Sambalat and Tobiah with scorn of his own. But he refused. He and his team returned to the wall. The opposition was mocking. But Nehemiah was rebuilding. They threatened repeatedly, but he kept moving forward. They despised him, but he kept mixing mortar and stones. They conspired against him, but he kept building the wall, and the wall kept rising 
up. You see, maintaining the focus to keep doing what is right in the face of opposition is a powerful principle. And we see to keep that focus, half of Nehemiah's people watched while the other half worked. Half of them held spears for their defense. Half of them held trowels for their mortar. You see, the Apostle Paul also knew the power of this principle. Just look at 2 Corinthians 4, 8 through 9, up on the screen as I talk. He led the entire league when it came to yards after contact. He was stoned at Lystra and left for dead. He was shipwrecked at Malta. He was repeatedly imprisoned and severely beaten, and yet he kept doing what he knew was right in the face of all opposition. Nehemiah challenges us to return to our own wall, make some proper adjustments, and simply keep on doing the right thing. Fourth, rally the troops. Had it not been for the consistent encouragement of Nehemiah, the Jews would have abandoned the task, leaving the wall in shambles like they had done for all the years before. During the darkest days of World War II, after the bombing of London, Winston Churchill, one of my favorite leaders, kept these words on a small card in his war room desk from Queen Victoria years earlier when during her address to the British Parliament about the Boer War in South Africa said this, Please understand, there is no depression in this house, and we are not interested in the possibility of defeat. They do not exist. You may also be very familiar with another phrase that famously came out of London during that wartime. Keep calm and carry on. What you may not know is that never came out during World War II. It was the next poster to come out for the invasion of London. And it was boxed up and not found to the 1960s when somebody found it and made it popular. Keep calm and carry on. You see, one person can make a difference in the rebuilding process when he or she truly believes the possibility of defeat does not exist. Nehemiah believed that, and so can all of us. Nehemiah found a rallying point for his entire team. He kept a trumpeter always close and constantly at his side. And Nehemiah tells us in his troops, wherever... You hear the sound of the trumpet. Join us there and our God will fight for us. Because Nehemiah tells us the work is extensive and spread out and we are widely separated from each other along the wall. But at the sound of the trumpet, they were to leave their work and rally around Nehemiah to face the enemy wherever he was so that no one would face the enemy alone. But they were a team. We must continue our rebuilding process and we must overcome our obstacles and our opposition. How do we do that? By dealing with the conflict head on. By making some proper adjustments. By keeping on doing what is right and by rallying those around us to do the same. So although I know that our rebuilding will not will fully start someday, with the return of Wednesday nights, it's not now. I believe that I overestimated when that would happen because what we discovered this week as we were talking as a staff was that we who have been here since March 
feel like the remnant who were left behind in Jerusalem. The ones who were left in the land to keep things going, who walked past the rubble and the ruin every day without the ability to do anything about it until the people return to rebuild. And that puts me and the faithful volunteers and staff who have spent so many hours so everyone could stay connected over the last six months. And it's so many hours, I can't even mention it. So you can sit at home and be able to watch or to come here so we can be able to do this twice in two different places as Davis and Mark and everybody scurry between services to carry everything that has to go back and forth to the next service so everybody can have a chance to watch online and be in person, it makes us more than ready for the return of those who were rebuilt. To have the bricks, to lay the mortar and cement the wall, and to get rid of some of the rubble and the ruin. And I have to be honest that right now I feel a bit more like Judah. Wondering if the rubble and the ruin and the rubbish is too much to remove. And it's then that I need to hear the words from Nehemiah most of all, and you need to hear them too, because Nehemiah reminded his team, our God will fight for us. Amen? And I remind you and myself that God will fight for us. Sambalat and Tobiah had said, you won't. Judah had said, you can't. But Nehemiah said, God will. And God did. Jump ahead to chapter 6 in the future. And we find, so the wall was finished on the 25th day of the month of Elu. It took 52 days. Now it looks like it will take longer for ours to be rebuilt than that. So I'm going to return to the wall and for each of us to return to their own work and not leave the rebuilding for the battle of the why and the why not somebody comes back or doesn't. We spend so much time focused on why isn't somebody coming back? Why did they come back? I saw them out at Kroger. Why aren't they here? I saw them at Cheerville. Why aren't they here? I saw them at the gym. Why aren't they here? Their kids are in school. Why aren't they here? i got to leave that behind. You do too. can't carry that baggage all the time. It's too much. Just go back to the wall. Stay out of the battle. Rebuild the wall as you only you can do. And remember the Lord who is great and awesome. And keep calm and carry on. So let's return one by one, whenever that might be. Let's build it brick by brick, never letting our fatigue or our frustration or our fear or failure stop us. Let's return and rebuild one at a time and be thankful for each one who joins us along the wall. Remember, 
It's the yak. The yards after contact that matter the most. Amen. So as we gather together and we keep praying Psalm 91, well beyond our 91 days, let's hear these words. Lord, thank you for the rest that comes when I choose to live in your shelter. I declare you alone are my refuge, my place of safety. You are my God. I trust in you. I pray you will protect me and my family from the virus. I pray you will cover me and shelter me. I thank you for your faithful promises that remind you will protect me. Help me not to be afraid of all that I hear and all that I see. Help me not to dread the viruses terrorizing our world. Lord, many are sick and more are fearful and anxious. Pray protection for me, my family, my church, my community, my city, my state, my country, my continent, and my world. I pray, Lord, as I make you my refuge, that no evil will conquer us nor come near our home. Pray for protection by your angels wherever I go. Lord, I love you. I trust in you. Please rescue and protect me. Thank you for answering when I call. Thank you for being with me in trouble. Thank you for salvation and the hope of heaven. And everybody gathered here and at home said together, Amen.
Good Shepherd for a, <clears throat> a while, I remember that in our first years together in 2013 and 2014, we sang that song at the end of service every week. Our bishop had challenged us as he first came and stood here. There's greater things yet to be done in the city. And we sang that song with all of our hearts and we gathered across the aisles. And we've done just that for seven years. There's still more wall to be rebuilt. The first bricks are here. We know that the bricks will join us in the months to come. But we're not going to stop. We're not going to chastise you for not coming back. But when you do come back, we're going to welcome you with open arms. And we're going to say, glad that you're here. To rebuild the wall together. So as you go from here into this week ahead, keep your eyes open for God. Watch for God's works. Be alert for the signs of God's presence, for God is our God. In charge of the whole earth, He remembers His covenant. For a thousand generations, He's been as good as His word. So go with confidence and with joy, knowing that God goes with you. And until we gather again, may the peace and comfort of Christ be present with you now and forevermore. And the God of this city will rise again in the people of Good Shepherd. Amen. Thank you.